This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for this episode with the host of the Best Song Podcast, Jeff Cummings. I've talked before on this podcast about the changing importance of movie songs since the late 1950s, when movie musicals started to go out of style in favor of big historical epics. Yes, we had a resurgence with West Side Story, My Fair Lady, The Sound of Music, and a few others in the 1960s, but they were Broadway transplants. Original musicals were few and far between, and the dwindling desire to create single songs for comedies or dramas often threatened the livelihoods of those who made a career out of writing songs. In the rules for the Music Awards in 1972, the Academy started to recognize that movie songs might be on the decline. In terms of the best song category, the music branch dictated that only three songs would be nominated if there were 20 or fewer eligible songs that year. The Academy hasn't made the list of eligible songs for this time period available, so we're left to only speculate what prompted the change. Because there are five nominated songs in 1972, more than 20 songs were deemed eligible to compete for the coveted nomination. But 1972 did turn out to be a controversial year, one that showed that the Academy was crossing its T's and dotting its I's. Before we get to that controversy, Let's learn more about the five nominated songs of 1972, going in alphabetical order. As a reminder, I'm going to be talking about the plots of these movies in detail as we go along. We'll start with the title song from the movie, Ben. It's a sequel to the 1971 movie, Willard, which I have not seen, but the plot of that movie revolves around a man named Willard who befriends rats that learn to kill and torment humans. The 1972 movie, Ben, picks up right where Willard left off, with Willard being eaten by hordes of rats at Ben's orders. Ben and his army are forced out of the house, and while looking for a new place to live, Ben encounters a young boy named Danny. This sparks a friendship between Ben and Danny, and though Danny tells his sister about Ben, she doesn't believe he is real until it's almost too late. Danny has no friends and becomes quickly attached to Ben while the rat army kills people and raids places for food. Ben is a horror movie, but it's not gruesome or even that scary. I kind of laughed at the sight of grown men being killed by rats, mostly because it doesn't seem plausible. But we do believe that Ben is evil, and Danny's friendship with him puts a new spin on the horror genre by making us care just a little bit about the villain. At the very least, Ben is helping Danny as he tries to heal from having heart surgery recently. Not long after meeting Ben, Danny goes to the piano in his house and, just like most young boys do, writes a song on the spot about his friendship with the murderous rat. At first, Danny speaks the lyrics that he's working out in his head while playing the piano. After his mother comes home, Danny sings the rest of the song. Thank you. 
leave us need look no more. We've both found what we were looking for. With a friend to call my own, I'll never be alone. And you, my friend, will see. You got a friend in me. Ben, you're always running here and there. You feel you're not wanted anywhere. If you ever look behind and don't like what you find, there's something you should know. <laughs> You've got a place to go. Mother. Our new shipment came in just as I left. Come to myself. Elsie quit. I'll help. It's almost nine o'clock. We'll let him finish playing, Mother. The doctor said. A few minutes more or less won't make that much difference. What are you playing, Danny? I made it up. It's for my friend. It's pretty. What do you call it? Ben's song. I used to say I and me Now it's us Now it's we Ben most people would turn you away. I don't listen to the words they say. They don't see you as I do. I wish they would try to. I'm sure they'd think again. If they had a friend like Ben The song, performed there by the actor Lee Harcourt Montgomery, attempts to set up the bond that grows stronger as the movie goes along. The line, you've got a place to go, rings true at the end of the film when the rat colony in the sewers is pretty much obliterated. Ben survives the attack and hobbles to Danny's workshop, where Danny tries to heal his wounds. The song Ben returns as Danny is mourning Ben, thinking he is dead. It's a song to remember his best friend. Then, as Ben shows up, it takes on a happier tone. This is a fine line for a song to walk, again, giving us reason for, to root for a murderous rat. But it works.
That's not Lee Harcourt Montgomery singing the second version of Ben. When it came time to find an established child singer to perform the song in the finale, songwriters Walter Scharf and Don Black wanted 15-year-old Donnie Osmond. Osmond had scored a number one hit in 1971 with Go Away Little Girl, and the song Ben was written with him in mind. But he was on tour with his sister Marie when he needed to be in the studio, so the filmmakers had to go to their second choice. And what a second choice it turned out to be. Michael Jackson was 13 when he recorded Ben, and just a month short of turning 14 when it was released as a single in summer 1972. Jackson was venturing out into a solo career when he recorded Ben in the fall of 1971, and he began his rise to become the king of pop with this song, his first number one single as a solo artist. The song went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for just one week in October 1972, knocked out of the top spot by Chuck Berry's My Dingaling. This would be the first of 13 number one songs for Michael Jackson as a solo singer, a feat beaten only by Mariah Carey, Elvis Presley, and Rihanna. As for the songwriters of Ben, they enjoyed their first ever number one song as well. We know Don Black had been busy with writing theme songs for the James Bond movies in the late 1960s and won an Oscar for the song Born Free in 1966. Walter Scharf had been nominated for the Oscar nine times previously, mostly as the music director of musical films. He had written original songs for the movies before, but nothing of significance since the 1950s. He shifted toward working as an arranger for musical films in the heyday of the 1950s and 1960s, then returned to being composer after earning an Oscar nomination as the musical director and arranger for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971. Nominee number two for 1972 also comes from a movie featuring children as major characters. The song is Come Follow, Follow Me from the movie The Little Ark. It has nothing to do with the biblical story of Noah and the Ark, despite the inference from the title. But it does involve a flood and some animals. The movie deals with two adopted children in the Netherlands who are stranded after a massive flood. They are helped by a fisherman to find their adoptive parents. And that's pretty much the movie. It was brushed aside when it was released in Europe and in the United States, and to this day has never been released on home video. If not for the song featured in it being nominated for an Academy Award, the little arc might have been completely lost to time. It tries very hard to be a cute family movie, but none of the actors are very good, and the story never seems to go anywhere for a long period of time. But at least we get a lively song from it, called Come Follow, Follow Me. The music for this song was written by Fred Carlin, with lyrics by his wife, Marcia who was not using her pseudonym Tilwith Kimberly as she did for her original song score nomination for The Baby Maker. Just as the film has nothing to do with the Bible story of the Great Flood, the song itself is not religious. The song is performed in the film by a group of off-screen children who use drums, horns, and silver bells to unite people to follow them across the sea where life is better. Other than the aquatic connection, there isn't really a link to the film's plot. But the melody is nice, and the lyrics referencing musical instruments ties everything together. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Not for the Academy's rule that the top 10 vote-getters in the preliminary ballot get screened for all music branch voters, I doubt Come Follow Follow Me would have gotten much attention. The movie made next to no money and was probably only in a handful of theaters across the United States. Since Fred Carlin was a recent Oscar-winning songwriter for 1970s For All We Know, the filmmakers probably felt a duty to release the film in Los Angeles to give the song a chance for an Oscar nomination. No other craft in the film looks deserving of Oscar attention. The British trio Springfield Revival did a commercial recording of the song, giving it a folksy vibe with lead singer Mick Flynn performing the song as if singing to a group of children, instead of the other way around as it was in the film version. Can you hear that, kids? Over there. 
follow me across the sea Sailing through all kinds of weather I says as the tide runs high We'll soar like eagles in the sky So when you hear me beat the drum Let's move on to a film that is very much a movie for adults, with pretty much nothing in it for children. The movie is called The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, very loosely based on a real person who dispensed his own justice in western Texas in the late 1890s. Paul Newman plays Roy Bean in the movie with a growl and a sneer, playing the role just short of going over the top. John Milius had written the script with an idea to direct it with someone else in the lead role. But John Huston turned out to be the director of the film, and he turned it into a less serious film than Milius had planned. That included a montage sequence with Newman as Roy Bean taking his wife, Maria Elena, out on a picnic with their pet bear. Yes, a pet bear. That sequence is accompanied by the Oscar-nominated song Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey, and an obvious nod to the raindrops keep falling on my head scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, starring Paul Newman. There are some obvious connections between both songs. First, as I said, Paul Newman is in both of them. Also, Paul is enjoying a moment of fun with a woman in both scenes. Both songs keep the spirit light, and both songs could have been removed from the movie without missing a beat. Instead of riding on a bicycle with Catherine Ross, Newman is on a seesaw with Victoria Principal in her film debut. As for Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey, it uses the title objects to describe how sweet the day is, in addition to mentioning cinnamon and sassafras tea. Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey Cinnamon and Sassafras Tea they make a morning finger lickin' and sunny Sweet as it can be, pour it over me All the humming birds are out hummin' Honeysuckle spike in the breeze Feel like a dilly of a day is a Bye. 
say Hey! Let's make a day of it Later when the moon is out riding Clear across the licorice sky I bet you not a single star will be hiding And we'll name them all if they fall We don't need tomorrows With money Long as we're together They'll be Sweeter than Marmalade molasses And honey Cinnamon And sassafras tea Cinnamon And The melody comes back later in the film after the bear is shot dead in a shootout in the saloon. Instead of mournful music, composer Maurice Jarre chooses his theme from Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey to remember the big bear. Alan and Marilyn Bergman worked their charms on the lyrics for the song, and Andy Williams got another movie song that was a little lighter than the usual love songs that had made him popular in the 1960s. The song didn't do much business in terms of record sales, mostly because Williams did not put it on any of his albums. Also, no one ever sang a cover version of the song, which always hurts a song's chances of long-term recognition. This was Maurice Jarre's first and only Oscar nomination as a songwriter after earning two Oscars from three nominations for original score. The French composer made a big hit out of one of his themes from Dr. Zhivago in 1965 called Laura's Theme and began a long association with director David Lean with his Oscar-winning score for Lawrence of Arabia in 1962. With David Lean taking an eternity to make his next film after Ryan's daughter in 1970, Jarre found himself available for the life and times of Judge Roy Bean. One composer who was getting lots of work in the early 1970s was John Williams, who wrote the score for the adventure movie The Poseidon Adventure in 1972. Though it was becoming the common practice to have the film's composer help with writing the original song that would be in the film, that wasn't the case with The Poseidon Adventure. Williams was not hired to write the score for The Poseidon Adventure until late in the production. Just as filming began, director Ronald Neem realized he needed a song for the band that plays during the film's New Year's Eve party. Luckily, 20th Century Fox, the studio in charge of releasing the film, had two songwriters that could do the job. Al Kasha and Joel Hirschhorn had been involved in movies for about 10 years, but they had not been lucky with the projects they were given. They got the opportunity to work with Marvin Hamlish and Walter Scharf in 1969 and 1970 before deciding to write as a duo for the needed song for the Poseidon Adventure. That song is called The Morning After, and as I said, it's performed at the New Year's Eve party on the luxury liner The Poseidon, not long before a massive tsunami wave topples the ship and creates havoc among the survivors. There's got to be have a chance to find the sunshine let's keep on looking for the 
Why don't we cross the bridge together And find a place that's safe and warm It's not too late We should be giving Only with love can we The song is not performed live. Actress Carol Lindley is lip-syncing the performance of René Armand in the scene. The song has a very uplifting message that will become crucial through the film as the survivors look for an escape. As long as they believe there is a tomorrow, they can survive. Kasha and Hirshhorn originally wrote the opening line as, Why must there be a morning after? as part of a love song in which the singer wants to hold on to the feeling of being with the one she loves. When tomorrow comes in the original version, the lovers have to go about their lives. Changing that lyric changed the song's meaning to fit the film, which likely helped grab its Oscar nomination. The next nominated song is Strange Are the Ways of Love, and if you have a good memory, you will remember that this is the title of another song that received an Oscar nomination way back in 1959. That song was from the low-budget western called The Young Land and spoke of the magical things that people see and experience when they are in love. The 1972 Stranger the Ways of Love takes a slightly darker turn, which is appropriate because it's in a very dark movie called The Stepmother. This time, the song says that love can make you do weird things, and that we are slaves to its power, which creates passion and fever. The song is performed in the opening credits, which come right after Alejandro Ray's character has killed a man he believes is having an affair with his wife. the raging tides of the ocean soft as the flight of the silver dove slaves are we to our own emotion strange are the ways of love strange are the ways of love how many times do you love her and leave her? How many stars can you count above? 
Love is made of passion and a fever Strange are the ways of love Yes, the song runs for one minute in the opening credits, but it makes its point quickly with the lyrics and jazzy melody. The song returns about an hour later when the title character, the wife of the man who has now killed two people, is alone at home a little drunk and high on marijuana. The only person at home with her is her stepson, and after the song plays with some added lyrics, she proceeds to seduce him. As the flight of the silver dove Slaves are we to our own emotion Strange are the ways of love Strange are the ways of love Warm are the lips that sing of desire are the dreams we are dreaming of Love is fashioned of smoke and of fire Strange are the ways of love Strange are the ways of love That version plays again at the end of the film, when Alejandro Rey is shot by police. The song is right. Love makes us do strange things. According to IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, the song is performed by Manuel, with no last name given. I don't know who Manuel is, and so I can't imagine he was as popular as Cher or Twiggy or Liberace, so the use of one name is weird but not as weird as this movie, which is about as B-movie and low-budget as it gets. But there was some money in the budget to hire the Academy Award-winning songwriters Sammy Fain and Paul Francis Webster, who had been songwriting partners since the early 1950s, but hadn't been in true contention for an Oscar since winning two of them in 1953 and 1955. In the ten years since their last Oscar nomination, Fain and Webster had been getting rich off their songs playing on TV, particularly the soap opera Love is a Many Splendor Thing, which used their Oscar-winning love song, Love is a Many Splendor Thing. Fane was about to turn 70, and Webster was 64 when they wrote Strange Are the Ways of Love, making them the oldest songwriters to earn an Oscar nomination. Stranger of the Ways of Love is a decent song, as are the other four nominated for an Oscar that you've heard. But it's mind-boggling how neither of the two songs written for the film adaptation of the Broadway musical Cabaret missed out on an original song nomination. Fred Kander and John Ebb wrote the songs for the Broadway show, and when many of them were axed in favor of keeping only the songs performed at the Kit Kat Club, a few new songs were needed. They brought in the song Maybe This Time, which Kander and Ebb wrote a few years earlier, so it wasn't eligible for an Oscar but two others have become so iconic through their performances that they certainly had to have impressed the Academy's music branch. The first one is Mine Hair. 
the first song that Liza Minnelli's Sally Bowles sings in the movie. It sets up her character as a commitment-shy woman, with some strong singing and dancing to showcase Minnelli's talents. Bye, bye, my liebe Farewell, my liebe It was a fine affair But now it's over And though I used to care I need the open air You're better off without me, mine hair Don't dab your eye, mine hair Or wonder why, mine hair I've always said that I was a rover You mustn't knit your brow You should have known by now You've every cause to doubt me, mine hair The continent of Europe is so wide, mine hair not only up and down, but side to side, mine hair. I couldn't ever cross it if I'd tried, mine hair. But I do what I can, inch by inch, step by step, mile by mile, man by man. The second song plays after Sally meets Fritz a new character written for the film who is extremely wealthy and upends Sally's life. After seeing Fritz's expensive car, we get the performance of Money, Money by Sally and the cabaret's Master of Ceremonies played by Joel Grey. The two of them make such a great duo with this song, which talks about the great things that money can buy. Money. Money. Money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. Money makes the world go around, it makes the world go round. A mark a yen, a buck or a pound, a mark a yen, a buck or a pound. It makes the world go around, that clinking, clanking sound can make the world go round. Money, 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 money. If you happen to be rich and to feel like a night's entertainment, you can pay for a gay escapade. If you happen to be rich and alone and you need a companion, you can ring tingling for the mate. If you happen to be rich and you find you are left by your lover and you moan and you go and fight a lot, you can take it on the chin, call a cab and begin to recover on your 14 carat yacht. What? Money makes the world go round, the world go round, the world go round. Money makes the go round of that we both are sure. Cabaret earned 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, and could have at least made it 11 with an original song nomination. That would have made it the most nominated film of the year after The Godfather had its original score nomination revoked. But the Academy had no love for Cabaret's original songs, since neither one is on the list of 10 songs that made it through the first round of nomination voting. It's a word I've used before, but it's mind-boggling. Another live-action musical featured songs from John Barry and Don Black, both of them taking a break from writing music for James Bond films. This one was Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, written and directed by William Sterling, a veteran of TV movies in the 1960s. 
The movie presents Lewis Carroll's novel almost to the letter, and that flowed into the songs, which contained the song Curiouser and Curiouser. The song is performed in one take as Alice shrinks down after drinking the magic potion. Everything is queer today. And only yesterday things went on as usual. But today is turning into the most curious adventure I have ever had. Curiouser and curiouser I find I grew curiouser But each time I ask a question Why? There's no reply Some days are gloriouser and gloriouser They can't be The song that was ripe for Oscar consideration would have been The Me I Never Knew, which Alice sings at the end of the film as her adventures in Wonderland have come to an end.
Alas, the film was a big flop, making just a little more than $3 million. But movie flops have managed to score Oscar nominations. Don Black would just have to settle for one Oscar-nominated song that year. Ben the Rat was not the only movie animal to get an original song written about him in 1972. Two other songs almost joined Ben as Oscar-nominated tunes, getting onto the preliminary ballad of 10, but going no further than that. The Walt Disney Studio released a film called The Biscuit Eater, a story about a boy and his dog, which is called Moreover. This is a remake of a 1940 movie, and Disney was continuing its series of movies about dogs, from 101 Dalmatians to Lady and the Tramp. But this was live action, and I'm happy to say that the dog doesn't die in the end. The theme song for the movie, called Moreover and Me, was written by the film's composer, Robert Brunner, who wrote music for a lot of the Disney live action movies with animals in the title. Just a few of them were That Darn Cat, Monkey Go Home, and a 1971 movie also about a monkey called The Barefoot Executive. of all. Through times good and bad, he was always around, never once letting me down. He's just a dog, but he's my friend. Through thick and through thin, with patience to lend, sampling life so happily, growing together more over and The other original song about an animal that made the preliminary list was Snoopy Come Home, the title song from the second feature film about the Peanuts gang. Not only was this movie the feature film debut of Snoopy's bird friend Woodstock, but it broke tradition by being the only major Peanuts production to not feature music by Vince Guaraldi. Director Bill Melendez wanted a more theatrical song score than the one supplied by Rob McEwen for a boy named Charlie Brown and that meant calling up the Sherman brothers, Robert and Richard. It's a fun movie, featuring Snoopy torn between his love for Charlie Brown and a girl named Lila who was Snoopy's first owner. The title song is the Sherman brothers trying to fit into the music tastes of the time, with a little jazz and pop mixed into this song that features a lot of blaring brass instruments.
Neither Snoopy Come Home nor Moreover and Me got commercial releases, which meant they weren't heard as much as Ben and couldn't get the support of the Academy's music branch. How fun it would have been to have three nominated songs about animals in one year. The voting for the original song nominees had some controversy surrounding it just before the full slate of nominations in every category was announced on February 12, 1973. The problem with the nominations involved Curtis Mayfield's song, Freddy's Dead, for the black exploitation film, Superfly. The song was on the final nomination ballot after the music branch had made its preliminary pick of the top 10. But the Academy was informed after the final nomination ballot went out that Freddy's Dead was not eligible because no lyrics were sung in the film. The song was written after the movie was released based on a musical theme that did appear in the film, and it became a hit for Curtis Mayfield and helped the soundtrack to Superfly sell more than a million copies. That's what I say. 
Composer Johnny Green, who was an Academy governor at the time, defended the need to investigate Freddie's Dead, upholding the rules that stated that music and lyrics have to be in the film. This goes back to the days when the songs Love Letters and More slipped through and got nominations, even though there were no lyrics in those films. The Academy asked the music branch to vote again for the five best original song nominees, this time with only nine songs to choose from. This took place in late February 1973, after the nominees in other categories had been announced. I'm led to believe that Freddy's Dead was one of the top five vote-getters in that first final nomination ballot before its eligibility was questioned, likely voted for in an attempt to keep the funk genre in play after theme from Shaft won the Oscar. I mean, otherwise, why would the music branch be asked to vote again? If Freddy's Dead didn't originally get enough votes to be in the top five, it would have been a no-harm-no-foul situation. But can you imagine Freddy's Dead from Superfly as an Oscar nominee if no one had protested it in time? The Hollywood Foreign Press Association didn't nominate Freddy's Dead either, listing eight nominees for original song for the 1973 Golden Globe ceremony. The two eligible cabaret songs were there, making this the first time that two songs from one film were eligible for any major award in the same year. The popular instrumental piece, Dueling Banjos, from the movie Deliverance, was also an original song nominee. There were no lyrics in Dueling Banjos in the film, so it should not have been listed, but there it was alongside three eventual Oscar nominees, Ben, Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey, and The Morning After. Don Black and Walter Scharf were winners for Ben, mostly due to it being the only number one song on the list which sometimes is how the HFPA decides its winning songs. Once the final list of Oscar-nominated songs was finally revealed on March 5, 1973, none of the press made much mention about it. One freelance columnist remarked that none of them were a hit, but I guess he didn't get the memo about Ben taking the number one spot for a week on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The others were definitely not big public successes, which was going to make it tough to sell the performances of them at the Academy Awards ceremony on March 27, 1973. This was the first time the ceremony was held in March instead of April, and the tension was high before the first award was announced. Best Actor nominee Marlon Brando would be sending a proxy in his place, a woman who would read a statement from Brando if he won the award. No one knew what to expect. But before that we got some nice performances of the song nominees. Michael Jackson came out first to sing Ben, the only song performed by the person or persons who originated it in their films that year. This was to be his official coming out party as a solo singer, and though the critics kept bringing up the fact that it was a song about a rat, Jackson's performance itself was not criticized. Glenn Campbell and the Mike Curb congregation gave Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey the perfect touch of honky-tonk, while Connie Stevens did her best with The Morning After. Diane Carroll, not known to many at the time as a singer, performed Strange Are the Ways of Love. The Springfield Revival promoted their version of Come Follow, Follow Me on the telecast, but the performance didn't give the song or the group much of a boost. 
Coming out to present the Song Award were Sonny and Cher, who were just a little less than a year into their variety TV show that would run for four seasons. Sonny ad-libbed his distaste for Cher's belly-revealing outfit, but Cher took it in stride before starting to read the nominated songs. The Academy's music branch nominated a song about a rat, but the Academy as a whole wasn't keen on giving an Oscar to a song about a rat. Likely swayed by the critics in the lead-up to the Oscars, Ben did not capitalize on its Golden Globe win, losing the Oscar to The Morning After. Al Kasha and Joel Hirshhorn won their first Oscars on their first try and thanked Lionel Newman, their boss as the head of the 20th Century Fox's music department, in addition to a man named Happy Godet. If you've never heard of Happy Godet, you at least have heard many of the songs he has worked to promote by persuading many of the best singers to record them and to get radio stations to play them. But that wasn't really true for the morning after, since no one recorded the song until after the Oscar win. But Godet had helped other Oscar-winning songs become hits, particularly those featured in 20th Century Fox films such as Talk to the Animals. The most popular recording of The Morning After came immediately after the Oscars, when a 22-year-old singer and actress named Maureen McGovern put her version on a record. After its release in May 1973, the song took all summer to find its niche with the public. The Morning After was number one on the Billboard charts in the first two weeks of August before Diana Ross knocked it out with her song, Touch Me in the Morning. There's got to be a morning after If we can hold on through the night We have a chance to find the sunshine Let's keep on looking for the light Oh, can't you see the morning after Outside the storm Why don't we cross the bridge together And find the place that's safe and warm It's not too late We should be giving Only with love can we climb It's not too late
Walter Scharf won't be back at the Oscars as a nominee, having earned his final nomination for Ben. He continues to write music through the 1970s, including for the TV series featuring Jacques Cousteau, winning Emmy Awards for his work. He wouldn't win any Oscars from his 10 nominations as a composer and music director, but his work on the song Ben would continue to bring him some massive royalty checks as Michael Jackson continued to make it a hit song, and it would be featured on TV shows and movies through the rest of the 20th century. Fred and Marsha Carlin also earned their final nominations in 1972. Fred would venture back into television writing and would become an Emmy winner in 1974 for the score to the Cicely Tyson movie, The Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Marsha didn't write any more songs for the movies, pretty much falling off the radar as the 1970s went on. Even though three of the 1972 nominees won't be back at the Academy Awards, we'll have seven men and women earning their first nominations in the original song category for 1973, including one of the most successful songwriters of all time. And one of the legends in songwriting returns to the Oscars with a new writing partner. The next episode is going to be a great one, and I can't wait for you to join me for it. Thanks for singing along with me on this episode, and we'll do it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.